So we're in this series called The Holy Spirit. So spoiler alert today, I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to um, look at a specific aspect of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so far we've talked a lot about what the Spirit does and kind of different categories around that. But I want to talk today more about how we respond to the Spirit or how we open ourselves up to the Spirit. So, so kind of start out the series, Grant really hit the theology of the Holy Spirit. The uh, Systematic theologians call it pneumatology. It's kind of like, what do you believe about the person of the Holy Spirit? And then we started to look at what the Spirit does. Healing, prophecy, um, builds character in us, the fruit of the Spirit. And today, what I want to talk about is, is how do we respond? If it's, if it's a relationship with God, we've highlighted the Spirit and the Spirit's working. And now what I want to talk about is how do we relate to that Holy Spirit? Because whether or not you realize it, I think we need the Spirit a whole lot more than we think we do. And to help illustrate that, I want to read from John chapter 14. Now, John 14 is a part of a section of Scripture, John 13 to 17, that um, commentators call the upper room discourse. And it's uh, Jesus is in the upper room, and, uh, and he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's preparing his disciples for that moment, but also the moments that will um, not precede follow that. Is there a, whatever, antecedent? I don't know. Uh, Secede. All right, anyways. Uh, but he's preparing them for, 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 he's preparing them for the cross, and then he's preparing them for the life after the cross. And, uh, and, and, and they are pretty nervous. And he speaks to them and says this, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's going to give you an advocate. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, in John 14, again, put yourself in the place of these disciples. Jesus has been telling them repeatedly, very soon I am leaving you because, again, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, the Roman leaders, in accordance with God's plan, they're going to arrest me, put me on a, on a, in an unjust trial. They're going to beat me. They're going to nail me to a cross. They're going to murder me. And try to think, for, again, we know the story, we've read the Gospels, many of us, but when you actually think about it from their perspective, they don't know about the resurrection. They're, some of them are going to write the Gospel, like John's there. He hasn't written this yet. He doesn't know where it's going. He doesn't know about the, who are you looking for? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Resurrection Easter moment. They're just catching wind of Good Friday. Um, one of my, I don't know if you guys have watched the TV show, The Chosen. I hate Christian media stuff. It's so good though, man. Like it's so good. And one of the best parts about it to this point, I hope it doesn't get weird because it's, get, there's a ton of money involved now and all this weird stuff. But, um, but one of the things that happens is you're starting, I've started to forget that Jesus is going to die watching the show. And my daughter Olivia brought up a couple weeks ago. She's like, it's going to be sad when Jesus dies because you're getting used to him as a character. Like, you're imagining what it would be like for the disciples. They're, they're spending time with him daily and weekly, and for three years, they're spending every day with him. And so you can just imagine, this is the Jesus that they laughed with, and they cried with, and they ate with, and they traveled with, and they ministered with. It's this Jesus, and he's the one that they have set their hope on as a Messiah. And then he says, I'm leaving. 
which would bum them out, obviously. No one loves goodbyes. But now, on top of that, again, they've sold their businesses to follow him. They've walked away from their families for long stretches of time, and they thought he was the Messiah, and they thought he was the one, and now he's going not just to leave, but to die, and they're likely going to be next. There would have been so much visceral grief and anxiety in this moment. Like, I'm sad, I'm scared, I know what this means, I don't know what this means. This is like a double shot of anxiety. And then you add on top of all that, he goes, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you can imagine them thinking, man, you're getting ready to abandon us and leave us to take on the Roman Empire. And then you lay on us that we need to keep your commandments. Like, this seems like a hopeless situation. I'm pretty confident that this was the type of stuff that was running through their minds, which is why Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled later on. I know you feel afraid, unstable, and out of control. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says to his disciples, I will ask the Father. So in that moment of visceral grief and anxiety, he goes, I know just what you need. It's an advocate. I'm going to send another, and another meaning like I'm going to replace myself with someone else. He says, I'll ask the Father and I'll give you another advocate. And and this advocate will never leave you. He says, I'm getting ready to leave you, but this advocate, the Holy Spirit, he will never leave you. I'm not coming back for a really long time, but I've got good news for you. I'm sending you another advocate who will never leave you. Now, the word advocate might seem kind of strange here right? Like, I don't know if you've ever been really sad or anxious, and people were texting you, like, if you need anything, just let us know. You text back, can you get me an advocate? I need an advocate bad. Advocate sounds so formal and strange. I've never been sitting with one of my kids. They scrape their knee. They're crying. I offer to pray for the boo-boo, kiss the boo-boo, maybe give them ice cream if nothing's taking. And they go, no, no, Father, no prayer, no kisses. No ice cream, but may I please have an advocate. Like, it doesn't sound like the most comforting thing to offer, but this word advocate, again, it's, it might not be a word we use all the time, uh, but it's a big word. And again, a lot of different translations translate it different ways. Some translations say, I'm going to send a helper. Another translation says, I'm going to send a comforter. Another one says, I'm going to send a friend, Okay. But what exactly does the word mean here in Greek? Again, the scripture was written in Greek, not in English originally. And the Greek word that's used here is the word parakletos. Parakletos. When you think about a paralegal, it's that kind of idea. It's someone who comes alongside someone to help. Someone who comes alongside someone to help. So when John uses the word parakletos, did he mean to say helper or advocate or friend or comforter? The answer is yes. All of that. Parakletos, again, is the one who is summoned to come alongside and help. So Jesus says, I'm sending you the parakletos. I'm sending you someone good who will come alongside you whenever you need help. And in this jacked up, fallen world, brothers and sisters, you will need help. Life will feel overwhelming sometimes. And the parakletos is going to come alongside you when you call on him and you summon him. And he'll come alongside you and he will help you. He will never leave you. 
He'll lead you into truth, truth you need. One way I've heard this described is, is like when a child's learning to ride a bicycle and a parent's like right next to them, right? They're kind of, right, like keeping them steady. You're not holding them, but you're close. Uh, you're kind of telling them what moves to make, kind of guiding them, leading them. Um, like they're doing the pedaling, but you're alongside them. Or if you're learning to, 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 to ride a bike, you're doing the pedaling and, and they're helping you. And there's this partnership that happens. And this is the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives when we call on him. Now, I don't know if you remember when you learned to ride a bicycle, you probably didn't feel like a pro. And again, again, it might have been a long time ago for some of us. You were overwhelmed at one point, right? Like, I could die on this thing. I know multiple people um, in their 20s who couldn't ride bikes that I knew when they were in their 20s, couldn't ride bikes. And part of it was, I'm not naming names, I wasn't even thinking of that, but there's, someone's acknowledged it in the room. Uh, that wasn't pointed, just, just so you know, uh, man. Uh, if you know, you know. Uh, but, but, but I know, and, and you go, man, honestly, I was little, and I was afraid I was going to fall, and I kind of internalized that belief, or I did fall, it's kind of traumatic, I internalized it, and I just have this, you know, fear and this anxiety that just triggers in me when I think about bicycles, and so I just never learned to do it. Now, I can see a lot of people doing it that don't look like the most athletic people on the earth riding bikes, but, but, but for me, I haven't done it yet, and so overwhelmed with anxiety, it keeps you from doing what you can do. The Spirit comes in and goes, you're capable of more than you know, or you're facing something that is absolutely overwhelming you, that you don't have capacity to deal with on your own. I will give it to you. I will help you. I will teach you. I will comfort you. I'll keep that bike up straight. And then when you fall, I will comfort you and clean you off and encourage you to try again. And I'm never, ever, ever going to leave you. And so Jesus, he says, man, this, this parakletos, this Holy Spirit, you can summon him. You can call him. You can say, come to my aid. And so in the midst of the disciples' uncertainty, in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of their questions, Jesus says, I have a parakletos for you. Now, restored family, how about you this morning? Like, are any of you facing uncertainty? Or any of you, do any of you feel like you have chaotic circumstances in your life right now and you're not sure what to do about it? Are you staring at questions you don't have the answer to right now? This is what I want you to see is that in the midst of this fear that the disciples are facing, knowing that their Lord, their Savior, their friend, their rabbi, kind of their pastor, he's getting ready to leave them in this brutal and horrific way. And he goes, it's going to be okay because there's an advocate coming. There's a parakletos coming. And so again, Restored Uptown, do you need an advocate this morning? Do you need a friend this morning? Do you need a comforter this morning? Do you need help this morning? And like the disciples in that room, I know that in a room this size, I've been a pastor long enough, but more than that, I've been a human long enough to know that in a room this size, there is a ton of need. Like there's financial need, and there's spiritual need, and there's emotional need, and there's relational need. And there's, I'm overwhelmed by life right now, and I just need some help. And Jesus goes, I got you help. He says, this Holy Spirit, he'll come along. He'll counsel you. He'll empower you. He'll encourage you. 
And Jesus says, in other words, kind of, he'll, he'll do what I've done these last three years, but all the time. He'll comfort you when you're frustrated. He'll counsel you when you're confused. This is a big promise. Now, um, there's a movement that, as a church we're loosely connected to, is a church called The Vineyard. Uh, some friends of mine actually took over the leadership of The Vineyard. It's a group of about 2,500 churches in the last year and a half. And the entire denomination was started on a Mother's Day, ironically, in 1980, when a baby Christian with a ton of sin issues and wounds got up and prayed into a microphone, come Holy Spirit. And you know what's crazy? He did. Like the Spirit came and he did a ton of stuff. That day people were healed, saved, deep repentance, marriage changed, on and on it goes. Leaders called into things. And then this movement with very little human strategy led to the planting of 25 hundred churches, over 3,000 around the world, because they had the courage to pray, come Holy Spirit. And so what I want to ask you this morning is in your own life, do you pray, come Holy Spirit? Are you desperate for the Spirit? Do you believe you need the Spirit? Do you ask the Spirit to help you? A Vineyard Movement leader says this about asking the Holy Spirit to come. They write, when you call, he will come. Are you feel fearful or anxious? Pray, come Holy Spirit, and he will comfort and bring a peace that passes all understanding. Are you isolated or lonely? Pray, come Holy Spirit, and he will be your friend and your teacher. When you're stressed and overwhelmed, pray, come Holy Spirit, and he will carry your burden and guide you along the right path. Are you feeling guilty or ashamed? Pray, come Holy Spirit, and he will convict you and forgive you and wash you and heal you and set you free. Now, that the Holy Spirit of God is always available to us in our need is phenomenal news. It's not just good news. It's phenomenal news. Matter of fact, it's a part of the gospel. It's a part of why Jesus died to reconcile us to the triune God, including the Holy Spirit, forever. especially when in a room this size, there's so much spiritual need. It's good news that we have access to the Spirit. But the problem is, is that um, we, we often will do almost anything else besides ask the Holy Spirit to help us when we're struggling. It's not that we don't have need. It's that often we don't ask for help. Um, for a lot of us, man, when we're in pain, we'll numb our pain. I don't know if you guys ever do that. I'm sure maybe one or two of you have done that before. We kind of self-medicate and you overwork or you binge on TV or you binge on food, distract yourself, try to accomplish stuff, look at pornography, shop too much, drink too much, whatever it is. You try to numb your own pain rather than bringing it to the one who can comfort you. Uh, for some of us, um, we cover up our struggles, right? We're like, I'm fine, right? When you're struggling in our relationships or with depression or with an addiction or, or who knows what else, we're like, I'm good, I'm fine, right? Too blessed to be stressed, right? It's good. Or um, we do the thing, and I, I've pastored this group of people long enough, we do the thing where we go, other people have it harder. It's like, cool, but you're still hurting. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, can you imagine 
if someone was at a hospital and they had been shot in the arm, and they're like, there's someone at a hospital in New Orleans, they've been shot three times. Don't, don't treat me. Don't care for me. It's like, ah, oh, it's kind of silly. It doesn't really make sense. And some of us, we don't value ourselves enough to believe that our pain is, is what it is. Our wounds are our wounds. Like, we deserve the comfort of Jesus, the comfort of people. I know no one does that. I'm just saying, I've noticed maybe a couple of you will do that. And the sad thing about that is you miss out on receiving something beautiful. And family, I just want to tell you this morning, if that's you, I love that you have, that you see other people's pain and you don't take it lightly. That's awesome. Empathy's awesome. Mercy's awesome. But like empathy and mercy for you are also really important. Grace for you is really important. So with our wounds and our struggles, um, or it's our sin, right? We excuse our sin. Kind of, oh, everyone struggles with this. Or, or on the flip side, other people struggle with worse stuff. Like, I'm, I'm okay. God's grading on a curve. I'm going to be fine. You should meet some of the people I met in my life. They've said some wild stuff, done some wild stuff. Or maybe um, we don't numb our pain or downplay it, but maybe um, we expect the wrong person to heal us. Maybe you look to your spouse to do what only God can, or your parents, or, um, man, good luck with this, your pastors, to fix you and to rescue you. And maybe you're constantly texting people, asking them to, to, to pray for you, asking them to help you come over. And by the way, that's not bad in and of itself, but to do that in place of saying, come Holy Spirit, is not going to lead you to what you need. The body of Christ exists to help you encounter God, not to be God. Some of us, we don't say, come Holy Spirit. We're doing more like a, um, I kept thinking of this, uh, that Christina Aguilera song, come on over, come on over, baby. You didn't, you didn't think you were getting that today, did you? It was free. It's like, man, come over, come through, come through, come through, come through, hang, come through, come over, please, 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 people, 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 and we miss presence. We feel pain or we struggle with sin and we expect other people to do for us what only God can. And then we blame our spouse or our friends or our church for the lack of satisfaction in our lives because we're asking them to do something that only the Spirit of God can do. He can use them, but he is not them. And instead of being spirit-dependent, we often act codependent, which, friends, isn't going to lead to your healing. People can never give you enough on their own. And when we do all of that, when we numb ourselves and when we downplay our wounds and when we excuse our sin and when we look to other people to give us what only the Spirit can, we miss out on patiently waiting for the Spirit, calling on Him, sitting with Him, letting Him give us wisdom we need, strength we need, power we need. And I know some of you do do this. I'm just saying for a lot of us, we don't. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit stands by patiently waiting for us to call on him. And instead of trying to avoid our desperation through numbing and downplaying, maybe we need to embrace it. Good God, I really need you. Like without you, I'm in trouble. In Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in the parched and weary land where there is no water. 
That could be like a really kind of sexy first verse before a worship set. Like we're going to really worship musically. But on its face, it's, it's, it's a prayer of desperation. I have to have you because nothing else is going to deal with the thing that I'm dealing with. I've heard it said that the Holy Spirit is drawn to those who are desperate. The Holy Spirit is drawn to those who are desperate, those who actually want him, those who have open hands, not full hands. One author put it this way. They said, if I put you in a room with your own child and a starving child from Mozambique, the poorest country on earth, and they're both crying out for food, which one would you help first or want to help? By the way, you can't just feed a kid who hasn't eaten anything. It's dangerous medically. But in your heart, who would you, I just caveat just in case, you know, uh, caveat or whatever. Uh, but, but in your heart, who would you want to help first? Probably the weak, desperate, dying one from Mozambique. Does that mean you don't love or don't want to care for your own child? Of course not. You care about them. But there's someone who's truly hungrier in this moment. Who's not going to complain about the snacks, Okay. God moves towards the open-handed, the hungry, the desperate. Again, as we've been exploring the person, presence, and power of the Spirit these past few weeks, my prayer for our church is that we become a people who go, I actually need the Spirit's help to live the Christian life. I actually need the Spirit's help to be married. I need the Spirit's help to steward my singleness. I need the Spirit's help to honor God with my sexuality. I need the Spirit's help to to forgive people because it hurts I need the Spirit's help to love really complicated people in really hard seasons. I need the Spirit's help to say no when I can't stop saying yes. I need the Spirit's help to admit that I have need. And so, um, again, uh, the Vineyard has these three prayers that they encourage people to pray around this idea. And I just find them so helpful, so I made them my outline. These are prayers the Holy Spirit loves to answer. So what I want to do is work through these prayers quickly. I want to take communion, and then I want to open it up for just for prayer, uh, to receive prayer. Some of the, our folks who went to Portland would love to pray for you. They've said they're, they're down to pray on the sides. Some of the elders would love to pray. But I want to work through three of these. Um, come, Holy Spirit, I need you. That's the first one. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. This prayer tells the Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own. I don't have what it'll take to make it through this moment. Again, when our kids cry out in the middle of the night saying, um, Mom, Daddy, I need you. They often say mom, unfortunately, for Jack. Um, we love you guys. It just often will wake her up. Um, um, we come running, though. Like when there's a, a noise or a scream or whatever, we come running. When they need us, we move towards them. And again, Jesus says, if you who are wicked fathers know how to give, give, give good gifts, how much more does the Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who need it? I'm not a good dude in of myself, and man, I move towards my kids. Mark 2, 17 says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who recognize that they are nothing without Jesus are the ones who, go, who get to the front of the line with him. If you want VIP access to the Spirit of God, just admit you actually need him. But again, to admit you need him means to admit you're not enough. One of the biggest lies of our culture, you are enough. It's great on Instagram. It's just not true. I've got better news than that. The Spirit makes you more than enough to do things you never thought were possible, to face things you never thought you could face, to grow in ways you never thought you could grow. 
but it's humbling to admit that. But we say, come Holy Spirit, right? I need you. Number two, come Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Um, again, Clive never does this. I want to be really clear, but other kids in our house, they do this thing. He actually does it. He's great, actually. He's like, guys, let's be open-minded and try stuff. Jack makes a curry. I'm, more, I'm less on board than he is. He's like, come on, guys. Let's, you know, be mature about this, Calvin. Um, but other kids, what will happen is, is they'll say, I don't, and you might have had this before, I'm hungry. You're great. Here's an apple. They're like, I want macaroni and cheese. You're like, you didn't ask for that. You said you were hungry, and you can't, man can't live on carbs alone. That's what Jesus said, right? And they go, they go, they go no. I, so in other words, they want help on their terms. Feed me my way. As a pastor, so I had to learn this the hard way. I got burned out by people. They're like, help me. Well, I can help this way. Well, well, not like that. I want you to do this. Oh, I want you to do this. I want you to, and they go, oh, I, I can't do any of that. And I would try, and I'd kill myself instead to go, hey, here's the help we can offer. We don't have an unlimited budget, unlimited schedule, unlimited staff. Here's what we can offer. Um, does that make sense? Um, now, God, the Holy Spirit, he isn't limited in the way that we're limited, but he is sovereign, and he wills what he wills, and he may go, this is what I'm offering. Does that make sense? And so, um, again, uh, sometimes we can kind of pray the prayer, God, rescue me. Have you guys ever heard the kind of, it's kind of like a... I don't know, a, a fable, uh, but it's like uh, there was a hurricane and a man, there was a flood and a man was standing on his roof and God sent a helicopter and he said, no, I, I asked God to send me, to rescue me. And then eventually he dies, goes to heaven and he's like, uh, why didn't you rescue me? He's like, I sent you a helicopter. He's like, that was you. He's like, yeah, um, that story, right? Um, we can do that kind of thing, right? Like God sends a helicopter and we're like, man, I wanted a boat. I always want to be a yacht guy. Right, that Hulk Hogan Thunder in Paradise boat. You guys remember that? Forerunner of CGI. You guys remember that, man? TNT. It was a great, the nose drama. It was great in the 90s. Like a futuristic Lamborghini boat. Anyways, we go, oh, I want help on my terms. Um, sometimes in life, we're in these double binds. We're like, God isn't helping me. And he's like, I, I'm, I've told you how to get out of this. But due to your idolatry, you won't let go of one of the things. So you are in an impossible situation. But, sweetie, I love you. I'm right here. But I'm right here. Does that make sense? But you got to let go of maybe some of these goals or some of these demands you have. Something's got to give. And you can trust me that if you give it, I'll take care of you. One author says this. He says, when we don't get to make the calls about how, who, or when he helps us, when we pray, Holy Spirit, help me, we shouldn't be asking for a method. We should be seeking the master. The person of the Holy Spirit who is our parakletos, the one who comes alongside and aids. Again, real faith, according to Jesus, asks for a yes, but is prepared for a no. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to them. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Now, uh, doubting here and double-minded are connected in Greek and in James, and it's one idea. It's not doubting like, I don't know if God's real or I'm wrestling with the resurrection happen. It's, um, I'm asking for help, but I already know what I'm going to do. I'm asking for, like, I'm asking for input on a decision I've already made internally, 
Does that make sense? I'm not asking for wisdom. I'm asking for blessing. Bless what I want to do my way. But James goes, yeah, if you've already made up your mind, you're not going to hear anything. You know, even if he's speaking to you, you're not going to receive it. But if you truly come open-handed and go, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do, you're going to hear some stuff. And you'll get what you need. And when we ask the helper for help, when we, we need to trust the helper to do what is best. And so the key to this prayer is trust. Again, a lot of us, um, when we're overwhelmed, we take matters into our own hands very quickly. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, Peter Scazzaro, he talks about this idea of birthing Ishmael's on his podcast. And the idea is like Abraham was promised a son and it took like 100 years and he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually he talks to his wife and she's like, hey, maybe you should sleep with our younger handmaiden, Hagar. Sounds like a babe. Uh, maybe you should sleep with her. And, um, you know, she's younger, maybe God, you know, and that's the way God will do it. So we're going to like take God's promise and make it happen in our in our way, without trusting him. So in other words, we want to see God's promise happen without faith or trust. And we do that all the time. And we see that all throughout, Old Test- the Old, all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we see Israel aligning themselves with powerful nations, with powerful militaries. And he says, don't do that, right? And this also explains uh, some of the American evangelical church's addiction to politics. It's the same impetus. It's like, I want someone to save me besides God. I want to find a power, some power brokers who can take care of me. Last thing I'll say about this is sometimes the Lord sends us an answer that resolves the tension, but we just don't like it. But if we'll receive it, the tension will go. And then number three, um, come Holy Spirit, I am weak. Come Holy Spirit, I am weak. I'm not strong enough to carry this burden on my own. I can't carry myself or my family through this. When we come to God in our weakness, he says, perfect, I can help you. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to do it on my own. He's like, great, I would love to help you. I don't want you to do it on your own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 9, it says this. It says, I was given a thorn. Uh, it says, especially because of the extraordinary revelations, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, I will boast, I will, I, will, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Paul was desperate. Three times he asks. God's answer didn't come in, in the form of relief. He doesn't remove the thorn. God allows the thorn to stay in his flesh, but the Holy Spirit teaches Paul, but you have what you need. You're going to be okay. My grace is sufficient. Again, I read this quote uh, about this idea, and it blew my mind. It says, sometimes the Holy Spirit calms the storm, but other times he calms his child. Sometimes the Holy Spirit calms the storm. He changes the circumstances. But other times, he calms his child to be able to face the circumstances. So when we pray, Holy Spirit, come, regardless of the timing or his method, he will come and walk us through the storm, the mountain, or the desert that we're facing. And so in closing, I know there's a lot of need in this room. Let's practice bringing it before the Lord. Holy Spirit, if we're honest, we need help bad. 
We need help in our relationships. We need help emotionally. We need your wisdom. Some of us feel like we're in the middle of a, yeah, we are, we're in, we're in like a double bind, and we feel like we're a rubber band being pulled in two directions, and we don't see how the tension could resolve, and we need you to lovingly help us realize that it's okay if it breaks. We can trust you. Maybe, maybe one side of the double bind is the disapproval of someone. We just can't fathom them being upset with us. But we know we need to make them upset. Or, or maybe for some of us, it's um, a financial goal we have or a career goal we have. We don't know how we're going to like love our families well or, or love Jesus well and still keep moving up at work. And maybe God's saying, hey, you don't have to move yourself up at work. Work faithfully is unto me. And in the right time, you will move up but it won't destroy you or your relationships, your family, your walk with me. God, for those of us in here, uh, all of us, let's be honest, carrying sin from this past week, as we come to the communion table, we bring our need for forgiveness to you. The fact that we need fresh reminding of our pardon, of our forgiveness, of your grace, For those of us facing trials, and we're scared, and it's hard, and we need your help, would you help us to bring those to you today, and would you bless those people today in a, in a special way? And so as we come to the, the tables where we acknowledge our need that you met, would we keep bringing you needs that you can meet? Thank you, Jesus, for dying and meeting the need we can never meet on our own. And thank you for sending the Spirit to, to continue to meet our needs. And so your name we pray. Amen.